You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Good morning. I'm going to have my wife share uh, for a few minutes to warm us up, but we're, uh, we're U.S. missionaries with the Assemblies of God. We are based in East St. Louis, so we are urban church planners. Uh, currently, right now, we have 11 different inner city churches that we plant across the country, and we run our ministries debt-free. Well, good morning. I love the energy here, so keep it going. <laughs> So we're going to do something a little different this morning. I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to high five them, and I want you to get excited. So, so come on, let's get excited. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> well, congratulations. Guess what? You're all missionaries. Right? Amen? You know, and maybe you're not called to Africa or China, you know, or to the hood with us. And some of you are saying, thank you, Jesus. But you're all called. And our greatest work is outside these doors. It's at your grocery store, it's at your work, it's at your schools, it's at Starbucks, because I love Starbucks. Me and Jesus, we love Starbucks. It's wherever you're at, that is your mission field. Because the last time I checked, there's not a ministry called Warmer in the Pew, amen? That's not what we're called for. And so I I just want to read a verse, and we all know this verse. Um, I got to get my cheaters on My son said, I'm getting old. And I said, I rebuke that. (laughs) So Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, we all know that verse. We know what it means. Love your neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. Right? Well, I looked up the definition of neighbor in the, um, I think it's called the free dictionary. It's just curious what it would show. And it says, one who lives near or next to another, a person, place, or thing adjacent to or located near another. And these next two are my favorite. I've never looked at it this way. A fellow human. And the last one, it says, a person who shows kindliness, kindliness toward fellow humans. So guess what? Wherever you're at, that's your neighbor. It's your fellow human. It doesn't mean you can just stay in your house and, you know, wave to your neighbor and, and, and that's it. We're supposed to be out there showing acts of kindness. So there's no getting out of this. We're, we're all called to do this, Right. And it doesn't matter what people look like on the outside because if we got hung up on that, we wouldn't get very far where we're at. We're, we're, we're talking to prostitutes and drug addicts and, and drug dealers and homeless people and we're loving on them and hugging them and feeding them and, and giving them things. That's what it's all about. So I just want to encourage you that wherever you're at, find one fellow human I want you to take yourself out of your comfort zone. And I tell this to the youth all the time. You've got to be willing to step across that chicken line. And I bet you all are probably better at it than some of these adults. 
Step across that chicken line and be willing to approach someone and just see if there's something that you can do, whether it's you give your waitress who was giving you terrible service, maybe she couldn't make her rent that month, and maybe she did give you terrible service. Give her a fat tip anyway. Or, you know, give the, the guy at the coffee house a tip. Or help your neighbor out. Maybe you see them struggling with something. Go out and do yard work for them. Whatever it is, stop and say hello to your cashier. Just take the time to show some form of act of kindliness. And you can make a difference in this community one person at a time. Amen? God bless. Well, hey, good morning. You know, I want to share something with you this morning that um, I think is pretty cool. Um, Back in 1988, um, I was working in a factory, and this guy named Ty Huber, he kept witnessing to me, and I thought he was a, I, I just thought he was a nuisance, but he just kept witnessing to me, he wouldn't let up. I remember one, one day when I was working that he wrote a scripture on the table, Proverbs 4.19, for the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, for they know not why they stumble. And so he, he was relentless, and so I, I, I ended up giving in and going to church with him on December 8, 1988, um, went to a church in Indianapolis uh, the caring place, and I heard the message, and I gave my life to Christ that day. As the preacher was preaching, I was just broken. I was weeping. I was crying. I went forward. I gave my life to Christ, and then God set me free from drug addiction. That night, I went back to um, where, where I was from. I grew up in a small farming community in Greencastle, Indiana. So that night, I went to the church there, First Assembly. And after the service, I was talking to the pastor, and I told him that tomorrow I have to go back to my workplace and that I dealt drugs there and, and you know, I didn't know what to do. And, and I remember him saying that God needs to give you an out-of-Egypt experience. Meaning God needs to take you from your workplace and put you somewhere else. And I thought, well, that would be really neat if God did that, but I don't know how he's going to do it. The next day I'm at work. There's like a thousand people working in this factory. And so I'm, I'm, I'm running one of the machines making uh, parts for cars. And the plant manager comes up to me and says, we need you to go to Bloomington, Illinois to work at the Mitsubishi plant. We're going to pay your way. We want you to go there for a month just to check parts. We'll send you with a couple other people to train you what to do. And so that Monday, it was, it was like 24 hours after I give my life to Christ that God did that miracle. I, I plugged in uh, to the workplace here. But did you know for the Wednesday nights of that month that I came here on, on Wednesday nights? And so in a lot of ways, this church has an impact in my life. Because for four Wednesday nights, I came here. Because I, I didn't know that there were all kinds of different Assembly of God churches. I went to the First Assembly, so I just thought they were all First Assembly of God. And so, <laughs> and so that's why I plugged in here. And then, you know, um, years later, God opened the door for me to become a missionary. So I spent my first four years doing missions work in June of 2000. I went to Washington, D.C., southeast, and worked with a missionary, trained with him for four years there, and then I really wanted to come back to the Midwest because I did not like the East Coast. It was just too busy there and too many people, and they don't know how to drive out there like we do here, and so, so you know, I pray, and I say, God, you know, I, I want to go back to... Um, Back to the Midwest, I really wanted to plant a church in Gary, Indiana. That's where I really wanted to go, but the door did not open. And then I heard the Lord say, Jay, I want you to go to East St. Louis. 
I said, Lord, why, why do I have to go there? That's just as violent as where I came from. I heard the Lord say that, and so I, so I, I went there on June of 2004. Um, let me give you a little history on East St. Louis. 1960, it was all-American city. There were 80,000 people living there. Today, we're down to 25,000. And so last year, we had 35 murders. So we had 35 murders in a city of 25,000. It's the highest per capita in the United States, which earmarks that city as one of the most violent cities in America. And so I got there that day, my first day there. I found a bus bench. I sat on it, and I said to the Lord, what do you want me to do? You sent me here with no building. I don't know anyone. I have no staff. And I heard God say, I want you to plant churches. I want you to reach out to the addicted, the afflicted, and hopeless. And I want you to raise up pastors. So as we fast forward today, we have seven buildings. We have four churches planted. Our pastors are indigenous. And, and then we've grown to other cities here in the United States. And, you know, I think back on how we started our ministry. And that was for the first year I was there by myself. And so I'd be in my little Ford Aspire driving around the town, you know, passing out clothing and, and uh, uh, food bags to people. And sometimes when I'd stop at a stop sign, I'd have a drug dealer jump in my car with me. Because right, I had to have my windows down, my doors unlocked. That kind of freaked me out. But I, I learned early on, I'd just start preaching Jesus out of them. They'd get out as quick as they jumped in. <laughs> and so we, we started, you know, I, I started developing, you know, ministry there. And then God began to bring pastors on staff with me. And, and so I remember that, um, you know, driving around the community, you learn it pretty quick. You learn the culture of your community and there's one particular corner that I really struggled with because I would drive by there and on any given day I'd see 10 to 15 guys hanging out on that corner and I knew what they're doing. They're dealing drugs, they're in a gang and I'm thinking, Where, where's the church at here? Why is the church not reaching out to these guys? And I said, well, I guess, I guess we're going to do it. And I, at this time I had uh, three pastors on staff with me and I did not tell them we were doing this because I knew they'd freak out. So I pull up on that corner about 20 feet away. It's on a Friday evening. It's, it's busy. I shut the van off. I said to my pastors, um, are you guys ready? And Tommy looks at me and says, Pastor, what do you mean are we ready? I grew up in this neighborhood. This is the most violent corner in the city. I said, I know that, Tommy. This is how you have to look at it. Once we take this corner, the rest of them are going to be easy. We're getting out today. We're going to cook out for these guys. We're going to love these guys. I don't know how they're going to respond. It was pretty funny. You know, cars are pulling up. These guys are selling drugs to people right in front of us. It didn't bother them. And so we, we cooked out that, that day. We cooked out several different times on that corner, and we loved those guys where they're at. I remember one particular day that those guys asked me if I'd pray for them. So I had all these drug dealers and gang members in a big circle, and I was in the middle of them praying that God would bless them. We have a, uh, we have a prostitution problem in our city. You can drive through East St. Louis day or night, you'll see young girls out tricking, and that, that bothers me too. And there, there's a hotel blocked from our, our building that we know what's going on there. There's prostitution going on there. There's drugs going on there. That really bothered me. And so I, I was trying to figure out a way that we could get in there and, and reach out to the, the, the ladies working in those rooms. 
and Aldi's, they used to donate all their bread and their hot dog buns to us. They called me one day and they said, look, we have buckets of bundles of roses. And we're going to throw them out, but we just felt like we should call you and ask you if you want them. I said, I'll take them. So I told my pastors that to meet me at the building that we were going to do some ministry. I didn't tell them what we were doing. just said we were going to do some ministry. And so we went into the hotel, the Royal Inn, and knocked on all those doors. And when the ladies came to the door, we would, handle the, we would hand them a bundle of roses and tell them that Jesus loved them and invite them to church and ask them if we could pray for them. And some of them let us, you know. I think the thing that bothered me the most was that in some of those rooms, young children would answer the door. So do you understand what that means, right? They're either seeing what their mom's doing or they're being locked up in the bathroom. I mean, it's just raw and real where I'm at. They don't hide stuff. And that bothered me. And this is how I've looked at our ministry through the years. If Jesus was in East St. Louis, he would not be hanging out at the First Baptist Church. Jesus wouldn't be at the Episcopalian Church, and he wouldn't be at the Methodist Church. Jesus would be on the corners with those men, and he would be in a brothel with those women. And I want to remind you this morning that there was a prostitute that is in the bloodline of Christ, right? In the Old Testament. And that's where Jesus would be. And who would have problems with Jesus being there? Church people. I want to remind you this morning that it was not dirty, rotten, stinking sinners that put Jesus on the cross. It was church people. It was the religious zealots of the day. And we have to guard our hearts. And we have to keep our eyes um, open and, and our ears to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say because all of us in this building today, if you're a believer in Christ, you do not have an exemption card for ministry. All of us are called to be missionaries where we work and where we live. God's not called us to warm the seats. God has called us to fill the seats. And God God has orchestrated and ordained for every one of us, if we're believers in Christ, to operate in the Holy, Holy Spirit and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If we're a Pentecostal church, that means we operate in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're living in a day and an hour in America where people are hungry for something that's authentic. People want to see something that's real. They want to see, if if you're a believer in Christ, they want to see that if we will move in the apostolic and prophetic mantle of anointing. You know, I never dealt with people demon-possessed I got to East St. Louis. And we've seen that a dime a dozen. You don't even have to say anything. You just show up and you start talking about Jesus. And if they got a demon in them, that demon starts manifesting. And what do you do? There's two things you can do. You can tuck and run or you can deal with that devil and cast it out. God has called the church of of this day and this hour to be aggressive with the gospel. To be aggressive in our witness. We're supposed to love Jesus in people and love the hell out of them. Because people live hellish lives. You know, we have built our ministry on the least of these. And, you know, when we launched our our first church in East St. Louis in 2006, it was amazing to see what what, what God did. He gave us four buildings. He gave us our first two buildings for $15,000. 
Then he gave us our uh, third building for $11,000. Then he gave us our fourth building, which is actually, it's the nicest building. It's an old abandoned drug drugstore that had sat vacant since the 70s. We bought that building for seven grand. So we have um, four buildings on a half a block in downtown East St. Louis. Everything around us is either boarded up, burned up, or barred up. It's, it's very blighted. It looks like a third world country where we're at, but that's where God put us. You know, a, a couple months ago, my wife and I, we were, um, in the, we were in East St. Louis. I ran down to the church, and I wanted to run by the post office, and I just wanted to make my way out of the city. And as I'm um, on the backside of the building where that hotel is, it no longer exists. It burnt down, and so there's nothing really going on there anymore. I, I, there's a liquor store right there, and I seen all these guys sitting up against the wall, and I, I knew what was going on. It was the unmarks, it was the U, U.S. Marshals, the state police. They were doing a shakedown, and that, and that, you know, that interests me. So instead of going straight to light, I hung a left, and I parked way, way back in the parking lot. And I, I thought for sure they, they didn't see me in Simmons. She's upset with me. She's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm intrigued by what's going on over here. I just want to watch." She says, "You're going to get us in trouble." I said, oh, no, they don't see us over here. They did see us over there because they jumped, one, they hit, one of the SUVs hit the lights, and next thing I know, they're right behind me. And so I, I said, just hold on, I'm going to get out. And so, you know, I get out, and the, these two uh, state troopers get out, and they're like, what are you doing? You look suspicious. <laughs> I said, sir, there's nothing suspicious about me. I planted a church called Urban Outreach. It's right over there. You can see the building. I've been here for 14 years. And I said, I, I'm just always curious to watch how you guys, you guys do your job. I think it's pretty wild how you do it. And, and, and so we have our dog with us, right? We have a giant schnauzer. He's all black. He literally takes up the whole back seat when he lays down. He's almost 100 pounds, right? And so they were intrigued by our dog. And so Simon got the dog out and they were petting it. And that's when I found out what the homicide rate was in our city. And then they thanked us for our service there in the community. And so I know that we're making an impact there. And I've learned this, that churches that make the greatest impact are churches that have been there for the longevity. You've been here for the longevity. Continue to impact your city. And so when we launched the church in East St. Louis, then in July of 07, we were given two more buildings. We were given a 10,000 and 4,000 square foot building in Washington Park. Now, in the 1950s, when those buildings were built, from the 50s up to the 70s, that was one of uh, the Illinois district's um, biggest missions giving churches in southern Illinois. That church at one time ran 500. It was a, it was a, Missions Giving Church, when we got the building, it was down to 10 people. And so we just shut it down for a year, worked on the buildings. And as we were working on the buildings, I remember it was our first day working on the buildings, a Hispanic family of eight showed up, and we ended up leading them to the Lord. And I said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do with this building? I mean, what, what do you want me to do with this family? We're not going to be ready for a while. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to plant a Spanish-speaking church in this building. And I said, Lord, that makes no sense. There are no Hispanics in Washington Park. And he was very adamant about it. So I said, okay, I'll do this. And I began to pray and ask God for the right person. Do you know it took 13 months for God to send me the right guy? I prayed for 13 months and then um, on, on a, 
hot day in August, I get a phone call from a guy named Ricardo Valdez. And he said, I was given your name and number and heard that you plant churches. And he said, I'd like to meet with you. And I said, okay, we can do that. Let's meet tomorrow at Cracker Barrel. And so, you know, we, we met there and I brought one of my pastors with me. And so, um, you know, we meet with Ricardo and then another guy walks in. He's, Ricardo's in a suit and tie. So he looks like a pastor. But the guy that walks in that was with him, he did not look like a pastor. He, he looked rough, you know. And so he comes in, they start speaking Spanish. They sit down, I'm processing all this. I'm trying to, trying to figure out what's going on. And then I hear the Lord say, the man that has the T-shirt and the jeans with all the tattoos, he's your pastor. It's not the one in the suit and tie. I said, okay, I'm fine with that. I took him to the building and showed him the building and said, you know, within a year, I, I will commit to getting the building finished and we'll launch a church. I took him back to the Cracker Barrel, I dropped him off, and I said to Pastor Shamika, which one's the pastor? And she said, well, Pastor, while we were eating today, I looked at the man with the suit and tie on. God said he was not the one. And then God said it was the guy with the T-shirt. I said, good, you heard from God too. That's why I brought you with me today. And so Ramon came on staff with me, and we're about five minutes or five months into it, and then he says something to me. Pastor, I need to tell you something. I need to let you know that I am a convicted felon. By the time I was 39 years old, I've spent half my life in prison. In 2000, when I was in prison in Missouri, because they moved him around from prison to prison because of his gang ties and he's such a violent man. When I was in consultory confinement, somebody slid a Bible underneath my door and I began to read it. And I gave my life to Christ. And then in 2002, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the rec yard and then they released me. I went back to Las Cruces, New Mexico. I plugged into an Assembly of God church and for five years, every weekend, I would go to Juarez and do street ministry. And then in um, August of 07, God spoke to me and said, I want you to move up to the East St. Louis area and to plant a church. And now here I am. That, 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 that right there, that right there is the apostolic prophetic mantle of anointing in action. Because sometimes we want God to move like quick now, but God doesn't work like we want him to. God takes his time because God doesn't have a beginning and an end. He's the alpha and omega, right? He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He doesn't know what time is. He doesn't judge time like we do. And if I would have gotten caught up like most people and said, no, he's not the pastor. He doesn't look like one I would, miss, I would have missed out. Because not only did we plant that church, but in August of last year, we launched a second Spanish-speaking church because we had another building given to us. Where are you driving at with this today? I want you to know that there are people outside the walls of this building this morning in your city that do not know Jesus. And they're restless, they're hopeless, they're hurting, they're desperate, and they're looking for a place to plug in. And if they come into the building, will we make a place for them? However they look like, whoever they are, because Jesus took a risk on us. And we have to pay it forward for someone else. You know, it was 
needs to see what God's done for Washington Park properties. And, you know, it's always cool to see what God's doing. And after we launched that church, I heard the Lord say, I want you to reach the Bosnians. And I said, I don't understand, Lord. There are no Bosnians here in East St. Louis or Washington Park. He said, no, they're over the river. They're in St. Louis. And as I researched it, what I found out is there are 70,000 Bosnians in St. Louis. 90% of them are Muslim. And they've been there for 15 years and nobody was reaching out to them. And so that right there got my attention. And so I began to pray in the month of February. And I said, God, give me somebody to pastor and to plant a work amongst the Bosnians. And then in the month of October, I get a phone call from a guy named Andrew Austin from Janesville, Wisconsin. He said, I was given your name and number and heard that you plant churches. I said, so what's going on, Andrew? He said, my wife and I applied to be world missionaries to Bosnia, and we were turned down. We were told that we did not have enough pastoral experience. So as we begin to research the Bosnian populations here in America, he said, there's about 10 cities across the country that have populations of Bosnians. But we found out that St. Louis has the largest one, and we feel called to reach them. I said, congratulations, Andrew Austin. You are our church planner. And he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute, how do you know that? You've never met me. We don't know each other. I said, Andrew, you called me. I said, Andrew, don't overthink this. God called you to plant a Bosnian work. You, you researched St. Louis. God spoke to me uh, eight months ago to do this. I've been praying for someone to come. You're the guy. If you don't do this, you'll be out God's will and he'll find someone else. There are ministries that God wants to birth within this body of believers. And I, I believe in a room this size that God is speaking to some of you. And if you don't do it, God will use someone else. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear and eyes to see what his spirit wants to say to you today. Because there are thousands of people outside the walls of this building this morning. They don't know Christ. They're lost. There is a hell. I know the Pope says there's not. And now we have all these other churches saying, oh no, God wouldn't send anyone to hell. There is a hell. And there are people in hell today that, 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 that say, I wish someone would have preached the gospel. I wish somebody would have told me the truth because I'm here today because no one confessed it. Or other reasons. God's in the people business. He loves people. And we should be in the people business too. No matter what they look like. No matter who they are. Listen, it's not our job to, to clean up anyone. It's not our job to judge anyone. It's our job to love people and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. That's his job. He just calls us to be a light, to be, be, to be a love machine to, to those that don't know him. You know, God did something really neat when we launched that Bosnian work in that he used two um, multi-billion dollar companies or Christian companies. He spoke to two companies. They both wrote out checks for $50,000 and we bought a building for our Bosnian work for 100000 cash. And that building today appraises for 120000 So God kept us in the debt-free zone. And then, you know, um, after we launched that, then I heard the Lord say, Jay, I want you to plant a church in Denver. And I said, oh, Lord, you're not going to make me move there, are you? Because I get a lot of snow and it gets cold there. He said, no. 
But when you plant the church, I want you to plant it in the most violent part of the city. See, that's our thing. It's we, we go where the Assemblies of God have left. Did you know in 1983, the last, the last Assembly of God church left East St. Louis, that there used to be three Assembly of God churches in East St. Louis? So from 1983 to 2006, there had not been an Assembly of God church in that city. That's why we were, that's why we were sent there, was a plan of Assembly of God church to bring back our heritage who we are. We're a Pentecostal movement and we support missions. That's who we are. That's our heritage. There are some Assembly of God churches I go to that have to go back outside and look at the sign and make sure it says Assemblies of God. Because they're apologizing for their heritage. They're what I call apologizing Christians. They're always apologizing because they don't want to offend anybody. Pentecost doesn't offend anyone. It gives us power in the Holy Ghost to operate and, and move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to apologize for something like that? It just makes us stronger as a movement. It makes us who we are and, and shine the light brightest in the darkest places. And so I said, to, I said, okay, Lord, I'll do this. And he gave me a guy named Isaac Oliveris. And so Isaac says, what, what do I do? I said, well, you, you need to drive around the Five Points neighborhood and, and just drive around God. He'll either show you or tell you what you need to do because that's the most violent part of the city. And so he said, okay, I'll do it. And um, so he, he began to drive around the community and check it out. And then he, he learned that there's a lot of homelessness there in the city. Denver has a homeless population of 4,000. And so this past Thursday night was their 269th consecutive Thursday night. They haven't missed a Thursday night in 269 weeks of feeding the homeless. He had put a picture on Facebook, so I put it on my, on my wall because every week they have, a lot, they have lines of people waiting to get into the building. Because what we do is we spend $40,000 a year and we work with catering companies. They give us substantial discounts and we serve them a banquet-styled meal. And so when you're in this room, you have homeless people, you have drug addicts, alcoholics, you have prostitutes. It's just a whole mixed bag of people. And when they're in there eating those meals, we love on them. We have people stationed at the different tables that, that share, you know, their testimonies with people. We preach a message about Jesus and we meet the needs that they have. And so next year, Isaac's launching a second dinner site there in Denver. A couple years ago, I was driving um, to, uh, I flew into Cleveland, Ohio, and I was going to Teen Challenge. I'm a 91 Teen Challenge graduate. And um, I went to Teen Challenge in Cleveland, so all these years later, 27 years later, anytime I'm in Cleveland, I just make a beeline to Teen Challenge. And so on this particular day, as I was driving uh, down the highway, uh, the highway splits into two different areas. The highway that I need to be on are two Ohio State troopers that have the road blocked. So now it's forcing me to go a different way. And I'm processing everything because I already know what's on the east side of Cleveland. Do you know what's on the east side of Cleveland? The ghetto. That's the hood. That's the most violent part of the city. And to be honest with you, I really did not want to drive through there. To be honest with you, I don't even like driving through big cities anymore because when I drive through them, God tells me to plant a church. <laughs> so I figure if I don't see it and I avoid it, he won't say nothing. 
So I thought I went far enough down the highway there that it would kick me into a couple little small towns, a suburb, and so I could avoid the east side of Cleveland, but it did not. All those one-way streets kicked me smack dab in the hood. You say, well, how do you know you're in the hood? Because I'm seeing all the, bur- the burned-up houses and all the boarded-up buildings, and now I'm driving, I'm seeing blocks and blocks and blocks of housing projects. Now I'm starting to see men holding up the walls. And then it dawned on me, God, you set me up. I know that you put me here today. I don't know why, but I know you did this to me. And so I'm going to drive around this area and look at I spent an hour and a half driving around the east side of Cleveland, just checking it out. And then I begin to weep. I begin to sob. I wear contacts, so I had to pull my car over. And I said to the Lord, why am I crying like this? And I heard him saying that still small voice, because, Jay, this is how I feel every day. I want you to plant a church in this neighborhood. I said, okay, Lord, I will if you give me church planters. And it took him about a year to do it. He gave me the Willard family. And they're like a family, they're all educational. And so they moved into the neighborhood. They didn't wait like some missionaries in the U.S. missionaries. They'll wait till God gives them a building to start ministry. They did not wait. They hit the ground running. What happened was it forced them to plant a church in their house. Could you imagine on Thursday nights having... 40 plus people in your house for church and then doing it on Sunday mornings. And then they started after school tutoring program. So Monday through Friday after school, they had 20 plus kids in their house tutoring them. And then the most amazing thing happened. The 1600 square foot house next door came up for sale and the bank sold them that house for $500. And so they moved their house church from their house to the house next door. And then in February of last year, the same bank owned a, uh, a, it was a building that's a tavern. And then it's got another building attached to it. And then it has a two-bedroom apartment behind it. So it's all one big building. The same bank owned the building and sold it to them for $500. That was in February. In August, the bank reissued them a check. For $500, it just gave them the building. Do you know what the name of the church is going to be? The Tabernacle. That's what they're going to call it. I was just saying, man, I looked at the building. I said, this building has so much potential. And Bob says, people were getting drunk in the flesh for years. Now when we plant the church here, they're going to get drunk in the Holy Ghost. Bring it. You know God still heals, delivers, and sets the captive free? Do you know that God's looking for churches in this hour in America that he can pour out his spirit in? That people would be waiting in line to get in? Because when they get in here, the Shekinah glory's in the house. The, the, the power of God's in the house that we can't sit in our chairs. We're face down with our faces on the carpet, weeping and wailing because of the presence of God. God's looking for churches like that today. The church is only as powerful. The church is only as strong as the people that are in it. What you desire of the Holy Spirit, what you desire of God depends on your hearts. And if you're all in, then God is too. Because there are a lot of people outside the walls this morning, they're hurting. I mean, you're going to hear me repeat that because it's true. People are hurting. They're desperate. 
We're living in trying times. And they just want an authentic relationship with Jesus. They want to know who he is like we do. And if we're willing to take them by the hand and lead them and disciple them, then they'll find out too. We launched a church in Phoenix last year. Did you know Phoenix has a homeless population of 22,000? It's hard. I've been there several times. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around what I see. The largest homeless shelters are downtown Phoenix. At any given time, there's two to 4,000 people waiting to get in. And so it's, it's like a three-ring circus down there. And then when you look around the block, there's like a two, three-block radius. As you look around where those homeless shelters are, there are tent cities and cardboard boxes where families are living in them, homeless people are living in them. And so when James Turner launched Urban Outreach Phoenix last year, he found a building that was three blocks from where all the homelessness is. And I asked him, I said, why, why did you fi- pick this building? He said, because it was the closest thing we could find to get into where they are. And it's, not even a, it's not even a church. It used to be a biker bar. They flipped it into a church. He lives next door. And his house has this big giant fence with all this barbed wire wrapped around. It looks like he lives in a compound. That's why he's there. To reach those people, to reach the least of these. That's our ministry. That's what we do. We do it because we know how to. We do it because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We're in New Orleans. We're in the seventh ward, St. Rock of New Orleans. And it just blows my mind when I go there and, I, and I'm there with Josh Holder doing, he does urban outreach there. And, and to see the homelessness, the, the tents, and the families living underneath the I 10 bridge, it, it's just hard to wrap my mind around this stuff. Matter of fact, I can't think about tomorrow because I get overwhelmed. I just try to deal with today. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to deal with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Nobody's promised tomorrow. Use what you have today to do do his work for him. To build his kingdom. Look, you know what the church is supposed to do? We're We're not called to station ourselves away from the gates of hell. God has called and positioned us to stand at the gates of hell with our arms extended. And as people are walking and marching there, we are called to reach out and try to grab them and save them from going there. God is, God is calling us to be desperate, to be desperate for him, to be desperate in measure for him. To weep like he weeps for people. To see what he sees in people. He doesn't look at the outside of men. He looks at the heart. Man, if we would just look at people from the inside and not look at the outside, we would get a whole lot more done. That's the heart of God. It's people. God loves people. He loves them enough. They put his son on the cross and, 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 and they killed him. He did that for us. You know what? All we are are the hands and feet of Christ. That's all we are. And if we're willing to do 
as the Holy Spirit tells us to, if we'll have eyes open and, and ears to hear, then we will do some incredible things. Look, God's not looking for people to have it all together and perfect because there's no one. You know, The minute you and I walk into church, it becomes imperfect. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect person. God is always using broken vessels. He's always using the broken to heal other people that are broken. You have a story. You have a testimony. God gave you that. He pulled some of us out of the muckery, miry clay. He pulled some of us from things that if half the people knew what some of us came out of, they wouldn't believe it because you're not that same person. Use what your life story has been built up with. Use that to testify to others uh, who they can be in Christ. Because if he can do it through me, then he'll do it to you. So here, here's where we're at. We're in Washington, D.C. We're in Washington, D.C. Southeast. That's where we've put our first urban outreach. We have a 12-unit building there. And it's just a hub of activity all the time. We're in Staten Island, New York City. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. We're in uh, East St. Louis, Washington Park, Cottage Hills, Illinois. We're in St. Louis, Missouri. We're in uh, New Orleans. We're in Denver and Phoenix. September of this year, we will launch and work alongside uh, Dable Wombersdorf in Chicago as he's going to plant North Chicago and the Bucktown neighborhood. I just, I just listed a couple days ago 50 more cities in America that are some of the most violent, most dangerous, most vile, most darkest places where there needs to be a church. Pray with us that God will speak to people that are willing to go so we can launch them into these areas and that we can, we can put churches that are light to shine in the darkness. Churches that will be Pentecostal, that will whoop that devil and kick him out. We'll bring down strongholds and we'll lift up the name of Christ and build his kingdom. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1AGBN to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.